Father, we would apply them to our lives, that we truly will grow in your word, Father, as we go down that road, that journey towards spiritual maturity, Father, as we patiently await that time when we will be redeemed and join you in heaven. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your tender mercies. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen and amen. So, we have spent the last five weeks on this series, 10 Steps to a New Spiritual You, Spiritual Maturity. This series, as we've mentioned before, is developed by a brother in Christ by the name of Mike Mazzalango, Veterans Oklahoma Church of Christ. We also stated that he gives a lot of credit to this book, uh, to this lesson from a gentleman by the name of Chuck Spindle, uh, and the, the lesson that a book that he wrote is entitled, So You Want to Be Like Christ. After tonight's lesson, as was mentioned, uh, our brother in Christ, Danny Elmore, will bring you lessons 6 through 10. And after those five lessons, he will also bring a recap as well. This series is designed to allow participation uh, with a series of thought-provoking questions, which we norm- normally uh, cover at the end of the lesson. And we find that last week we just didn't get there, but we're going to get there today. And the other thing about participation we need to remember is this. Participation is totally voluntary. So as we think back to week one, we started out with two rhetorical questions. Questions you can still think about today. Question number one being, if you could be like anyone in history, who would that be and why? Question number two, as you see on the board, what do you need to be like Christ? I mean, what do you need to be like, rather, in order to be like Christ? Now, when we think about those two questions and, and the rhetorical nature of them, we find that we can learn a lot from great achievers. We can learn a lot from people that we love. But as Christians, there's one and only one person that we should strive to be like, and that is Christ Jesus. So the first step to the new spiritual you that we talked about in lesson one has to do with discipline or self-discipline. In a moment, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Discipline is to train or develop by instruction and exercise, especially in self-control. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, the Bible reads, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you will, rather, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. This course, It was designed for mature Christians, Christians who have already mastered the basic things, if you will. In a moment, we're going to be going to Hebrews chapter 6 at verse 1. This lesson was designed for mature Christians who've already mastered the basic things and should be, as we read here here in Hebrews chapter 6 at verse 1, should have this mindset. 
Hebrews 6, the verse 1 in the Bible reads, Therefore let us, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Also in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, look at what it says there. The Bible reads, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The road to spiritual maturity, brethren, begins at the point of self-discipline. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, what we have is this. We have an important passage that is relative to the pursuit of spiritual maturity or godliness. And in this passage, Paul writes, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And what we have happening here is Paul Paul is encouraging us to cultivate the first step on the road to spiritual maturity, which is personal or self-discipline. That Greek word gamnazo, gamnazo rather, it refers to training yourself. It refers to conditioning yourself. Discipline then requires, discipline requires doing these things over and over again, until they become second nature, until they become a part of who you are, until they become a part of what people know you to be. So the second feature of discipline is that it cultivates a sense of personal responsibility where you take ownership. You take ownership of the process for your own spirituality. We take you to Philippians chapter 2 at verse 12. Philippians chapter 2 at verse 12. The Bible there says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What we have here is this is no longer a goal of our parents for us. This is no longer the goal of our preacher for us. But we have taken on full responsibility. We have taken on full ownership for our growth in Christ Jesus. The goal, the goal is spiritual maturity. The goal is the ability to experience the full presence of God in my life. Each day, we are presented with, the, with an opportunity to experience the good, the bad, and the ugly. Sometimes it's, 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 it's a choice that we make. Other times it is a matter of circumstances. So in summary for sex, section one, a session one I should say, spiritual maturity allows us to have Paul's mindset as he contemplated his fast approaching execution. I refer you to Second Timothy chapter four, verses six through eight. Second Timothy chapter four, verses six through eight. There the Bible says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. 
In the future, there's reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. To arrive at this level of spiritual maturity, one has to master several spiritual exercises. And each of these exercises enables the believer to grow in godliness, able, enables the believer to grow in Christ-likeness. The first step, this personal discipline that we've been talking about, is essentially training yourself to do and think these things which our flesh resists in order to gain the things we need and, and desire to obtain, which is spiritual maturity. So it should be our daily goal then to become a better person. This admirable logic should convince us that life happens and life does. The good, the bad and the ugly happens. This logic should also remind us that that living the life that God will have us to live through Christ Jesus requires effort. Now, when we think about effort for a moment, being faithful for a lifetime requires effort. Hearing and obeying God's word, coming to Christ Jesus requires effort. Resisting temptation over and over again and getting up even when we fail requires effort. Faithful to the church and worship and service requires effort. Faithful in our complete trust that God can and God will save us even when we are completely discouraged requires effort. So that's what's the end of section one. We go to section two. In section two, we reviewed the four stages of complete spiritual transformation as well as the second step we need to take toward spiritual maturity. Now, that was a rhetorical question that we asked of that during that lesson as well. If you are already saved, why make the effort to obtain spiritual maturity? Why not just relax and go along for the ride? Brethren, like many other things in life, what we put into, or rather what we get out of Christianity, is largely connected or determined by what we put into our faith. Acquiring spiritual maturity is important for at least two reasons. Number one, in spiritual matters, if we do not conscious, in a moment, we're going to be going to Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. So again, number one, in spiritual matters, if we do not consciously move forward, then we unconsciously move backwards. At Romans chapter 6 and verse 12, the Bible reads, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And the number two item here is when we're pursuing spiritual maturity, we, it takes us to the, the second stage of that fourth stage of transformation that God has planned for those who believe in Christ Jesus. So let's look at those four stages. Stage number one, regeneration, salvation. 
This is the process of developing spiritual maturity, which is godliness. With the help of God's word, which is the Bible, with the help of God's spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, with the help of God's people, with the church. They all go hand in hand. Number two, glorification. The putting on of our glorified heavenly bodies when Christ Jesus raised us from the dead at the end of time. Number three. Uh, yeah, number four, rather, is exaltation. The reason for the glorified bodies is to enable us to exist with God as part of the Godhead at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. So the second step of spiritual maturity is intimacy. That's okay. So the second step to spiritual maturity is intimacy. That is intimacy with God. Intimacy means belonging to someone. Uh, Well, belonging to someone else, I should say. Close contact, familiarity, or close association. Intimacy can be defined as seen as both a state and a feeling. Intimacy feels warm, satisfying, accepting, personal, deep, private, exclusive, safe, or comfortable. We discipline ourselves for intimacy with God by doing two things. Conforming to his way and will for our lives. And number two, allowing God to deal with us on his own terms and not our own. In his book, Spindle says, God often does his best work in us when he catches us by surprise and introduces a change that is completely against our own desire. In the end, Paul was close to and very much like God. The end result of intimacy. When we allow God to deal with us on his own terms and we accept it, several things tend to naturally happen in our lives. Number one, it moves me to seek him more intensely. Number two, it makes me more dependent upon him. And finally, number three, it produces a godly character in me. So what this is saying is this, the closer I draw to God, the more he deals with me. And the more he deals with me, the closer I draw to him. This is how the the dynamics, if you will, of spiritual intimacy works. Godliness or spiritual maturity becomes the result of being molded by God because I am intimate with God. So in summary for lesson two. In our effort to be like God, we need to go deep with him, not just enjoy, you might say, the view from the mountaintop. We want substance in our relationship with him, not just a speedy worship service. We want to feel love. We want to feel closeness with God and not just walk, talk rather about religion. And the way to all of this is to cultivate the second step in our journey to spiritual maturity. And that is intimacy with God. We need that foundation of self 
discipline in order to be intimate with God. In lesson three, or session three, we explain the condition, or rather, yeah, we explain the condition that rather permits intimacy to take place, which is simplicity or decluttering our lives, if you will. Go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible reads, But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. In this passage, Paul says that the Christian's experience is one of transformation and ongoing change, if you will. Spiritual maturity is a journey, not simply a destination. When we think about heaven, yes, heaven is a destination, but but spiritual maturity is a lifelong journey in order to get there. And, And because of this, because of this, the process is often difficult. The process is uncomfortable. The process is quite challenging. However, the satisfaction and the peace obtained by the experience far outweigh any and all of the inconveniences. A simple life promotes intimacy with God. In his book, So You Want to Be Like Christ, Chuck Spindle lists five sources of mind or life clutter common to the 21st century lifestyle. And you see them listed on the board. Number one, we say yes to too many things. Number two, we do not plan for regular leisure or rest. We rarely take the time to savor and enjoy the pleasure of accomplishments. We owe more than we can repay comfortably. And we think technology is actually simplifying and improving our lives. So in summary, the famous retailer J.C. Penney, who was a devout Christian, once said, if you're too busy to worship God on the Lord's day, you're just too busy. Simplifying your life will not only give you more time with God, simplifying your life will give you more time, period. In session four, we examine steps four and five in the process of spiritual maturity as we pursue the goal of godliness. Which, when you think about the goal of godliness, is something that all Christians should be striving for in our lives. So if you would turn to uh, Psalm 46, Psalm 46, Psalm 46 emphasizes the speed we learn the most about God and come to resemble him. Now note that the writer breaks up the psalm by repeating the word selah three times. Selah means to pause, to cease, to stop. With this repeated instruction, he is saying to the reader, pause. Stop. 
let this sink in. This psalm describes the upheaval of nature, the assault of enemies, and the violence of war. And now, faced with these level 10 speed type of events, God says to man, pause, stop, and consider that God is in control. Consider that God is with us. Consider that God protects us. As Psalm chapter 46, the Bible reads, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Continuing verse 10, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Even at times of war, godly people are told to stop. Cease striving. Be quiet. Do nothing. Now, when we think about this, this is the opposite reaction that is normal. With our lives moving at this 8 to 10 level speed, it never crosses our minds to simply stop. And most of us cannot or will not stop. So as a consequence, as a consequence, we miss an opportunity to to deepen our knowledge of God. Simplifying our lives draws us near to God. Being still when we are close enables us to know him better. If you cannot discipline yourself to be still, you may not. Or rather, you may know about God, but you cannot know him personally. So the question, the question that arises Next is this. I shouldn't have done that. The question that arises next is this. How do we cultivate stillness? And the answer to that question is step five. As we go towards spiritual maturity, and that is solitude. Just as simplicity enables intimacy, solitude facilitates stillness. 
Now we can move to the next one. Disunderstanding is what changes our character into the image of his character. As we truly grasp what he is, what he is saying in his word, our minds and character are slowly becoming more like Christ Jesus' mind and character. At John chapter 1 at verse 14, John chapter 1 at verse 14, the Bible reads, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as the only, as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, the word becomes flesh once again, but this time the word becomes our flesh, not the flesh of the baby Jesus. So, what do we mean by stillness? Well, a few things, for example. Number one, not talking to God or giving God instructions but quietly listening to God, not worrying, but simply trusting God, not constantly reviewing our needs and fears, but giving them over to God without instructions. Why no instructions? Because he already knows he does not need clarification from us, not figuring out the answers and proper solutions, but simply waiting on God patiently. Not working on our, out our perfection, but accepting God's imputed perfection in Christ Jesus. So in summary to lesson four, here are some suggestions on cultivating stillness through solitude. Number one, pick a time, pick a place when and where you can be alone for 30 minutes. Bring a notebook, bring a pen. Number two, let your mind run to empty out all thoughts concerning family, work, problems, plans, and projects. Do this until you are quiet of mind. Number three, write down what you think as a way of dialoguing with God, a kind of private spiritual diary, if you will. Let this be your way of practicing the state of solitude so that you can become comfortable in solitude and thus begin to reap the rewards that are found only there. In session five, we encountered one of the more difficult disciplines to learn, and that is the discipline of surrender. When we talk about surrender, what are we saying? Releasing our grip or hold on our rights, on our plans, on our dreams, and putting them into God's hands. Surrender. Surrender is the most difficult discipline because it goes against our most powerful drive. Our most powerful drive is called self-interest. How then do we actually surrender to God? What method do we use to accomplish this? How about starting right here? We need to study Christ Jesus' life and not simply know the facts about him. As I stated last week, if you ever done any prison ministry at all, the people that you come into in prison, a lot of them know a lot of facts about Christ Jesus, but they are not intimate with him. Number two, compare ourselves to Christ Jesus. Compare yourself to Christ Jesus. What does comparing ourselves to Christ Jesus mean and how does it cultivate surrender within our lives? Those are questions we need to answer. Number three, let go. Releasing your grip on things you want to possess or control frees you to be in 
submission to God. It, 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 it is the effort to hold tightly to these things to, in our life and, and our goods. Those things are the things that exhaust us. Those are the things that enslave us. Whereas letting these things go by submitting them to God, this frees us. It frees us up. So here are some practical ways to let go and surrender. Number one, let go your possessions. How do we do this? Acknowledge before God in prayer that all of what we have, all of what we possess actually belongs to him. And it's by his grace, by his mercy, by his teaching that he has given us the authority to be stewards over that. Number two, let go your desire for position. Release your hunger for recognition, for benefits and and advantages to God. Begin to find your security, your value and identity in him only. Number three, let go your plans. Now, we all make plans all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we're talking about here is we make these plans, but be patient when God changes them. Not becoming angry and discouraged when plans are changed is a clear and sincere way of demonstrating that we have given them exclusive control to God. Uh, Rather, given God exclusive control over them. Let go your people. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. But realize they are only temporary. Give them and your hope for them over to God. Transfer the responsibility for their lives and their happiness. Transfer it over to God. So in summary of lesson five, the rewards of surrender are the surprises that God has in surrender to him. The greater the struggle to surrender, the greater the surprise. Thank you guys for bearing with me for a recap of those five lessons. Now what I promise you and what you guys have been waiting a whole week for. I mean, court was chomping at the bits. I can tell. (laughs) Question number two was. What would be the equivalent of Jesus emptying himself for you? What would emptying yourself mean in your life? Oh, what did he say? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Anybody? No one? Well, what I think about when I see that question is Christ Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth, suffering and dying for my sins. I mean, <laughs> you can't empty yourself no more than that. And for question two, I guess, James, you've been looking at these a lot longer than we have, so that's not fair. But when we give God total control of our lives, of my life, that's equivalent to me emptying myself. Because I am letting him be in control. Does am I always successful on letting him be in control? No. Sometimes I get stubborn too and I want to be in control. I'm in charge of this. This is my body. Excuse me.
changing our will to be uh, his will. That's emptying ourselves, giving up of ourselves. So aligning all of our desires, all of our wants, our wishes, along with his, uh, his will. Thank you. Anyone else? We have a hot mic. No one else? Oh, here we go. Uh, I have no answer for the first part. Uh, I have no equivalent. Uh, but the second part, emptying yourself, I think, may also be something like uh, stepping away from the people that draw you away from Christ. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Anyone else? Sit your hand up. No? Okay. Anyone else? I don't want to miss anyone. Okay, next question. Hmm. How are you the most or least like Christ? Okay. We'll bite, Pat. (laughs) Most like when I know when to keep my mouth shut. In times when I know someone is pushing me to something else, but I can keep my mouth shut and not get angry about it, not even be angry about it. And I see that person again and I've already I love to adhere to Romans as much as depends on me, be at peace with all men. When I can do that, I'm the most like Christ. When I can't do that, I'm the least like Christ. Anyone else? Okay, next one. Describe a person you know who is most like Christ and what traits you most admire about them. And you don't have to mention any names, but there's probably somebody that we can think about. Well, um, oh, I'm sorry. Actually, my grandmother was a great example for me. She was um, for hospitality, and she always had a roast in the oven on every Sunday. She would meet the visitors and then invite every visitor that came that day to her house. And she was, um, she just always had it, and it was always ready. And she also was giving, she and my papa would make extra on certain nights and go to all the widows and the widowers and make sure they had a meal. And my papa made sure that every person that had a doctor's visit but didn't have a ride, he would take them. So I try to be like them. I'm far from it. (laughs) Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, just speaking for all the men, we, we think our wives. <laughs> Amen to that, brother. Anyone else? I'd like to share someone. Uh, when I was preaching at Akiski, uh there was a brother there whose wife was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and I noticed something about him. When she was healthy, 
and that illness wasn't even in their heads. He was always giving and caring. When she wasn't healthy, and all of us, including him, was aware of her illness, and he had to live with the 24-7, he was still always caring and giving. Uh, he helped me at the prison ministry uh, and a lot of other things while I was down there. He was one of the men that actually helped me, by God's grace, be successful in the work that I was doing there. Anyone else? Okay. Question number five. Why is there air? Oh, no, it's not what it says. It says, what do you think is meant by the phrase, the greater the struggle to, the greater the struggle to surrender, the greater the surprise? The greater the struggle to surrender, the greater the surprise. Oh. Well, the great, the greater the struggle in my mind for myself would be the length of time it took for me to see the light and to um, even know realize that I needed to. But because it took so long, when I did surrender, it's like you know those those who have sinned much or been forgiven much, love much. It's that pearl of great price. It's it's so valuable because you spent so long without it. So the longer it took me, the more it meant to me when I got it. Thank you. Anyone else? So the longer the struggle, the harder I fight. That's something that I want. I don't want to get away. So when I try harder and finally let go and give it up to God, and he decides whether I need it or don't, and I understand that, there's always just that. Okay? It might take a long time to go, okay, same as as he said, but okay, I didn't need that, or I got it. Wow. Thank you, God. Thank you. Anyone else? I would like to share one more with you. And uh, I met this gentleman, oh, pretty close to 20 years ago. I actually met him at South Anchorage. He had another brother from uh, Ella J., Florida, uh, uh, Georgia, I should say, was traveling. Um, They had been friends for a long time. And what they basically said they decided to do was they got a shoebox, put X amount of dollars in it, got their tickets, and headed to Alaska. And they said basically... Once they looked in the shoebox, the plan was once they looked in the shoebox and there was very little money left in there, it was time to get on that return trip to Georgia. And it just so happens that uh, we had a, a, a retreat here, uh, Eddie Clore's group. And, and there was a family there. We met them, and we actually, Barbara and I spent a week with them in LJ, Georgia, and we met this gentleman, both of those gentlemen again at that congregation. And what he said to me was this. He said, he was pretty close to 50. He said, I became a Christian when I was 45 years old. And I didn't realize what I was missing for 45 years. 
and uh, and that was neat. And this and, and this guy, um, he doesn't brag about it. I'm not doing a name dropping, but this guy owned a lot of chains of Papa John's or whatever you call those pizzas down there. But you would not know it because of how he was. He actually bought this large area of property, and he was building a compound there of just people from Church of Christ living on that property. They got electric gate and all that good stuff. It was kind of neat what he was doing. And one of the brothers that was uh, there actually had bought a piece of property from him, the one that he was traveling with, and then his wife became ill and died. And he did what a brother was supposed to do. The gentleman no longer needed the property, so he gave him his money back. He didn't say, no, you got to keep it, you got it, go sell it to someone. He just gave him his money back. And later the gentleman got married, and I don't, I don't remember if he moved into the property or moved back to Texas where his wife was from, but, but I thought that was very interesting. He was up in age and realized what he had been missing all those years. And he said he wished he had done it sooner. So thank you all for joining us tonight. Uh, as we said earlier, Brother Danny will be taking over um, next week. And uh, Danny, you're going to have fun. <laughs> you're going to have fun. And uh, we're looking forward to it. Also, for all those who joined us tonight uh, online, we thank you for joining us tonight. In a moment, we're going to be having a devotional. I hope everyone is planning to stay for the devotional because I can't say this enough. A lot of work goes into putting together a devotional, even though it's short. There's a lot of work and study. And so... Uh, each time we hear God's word proclaimed, either short or long, it's an opportunity for us to grow and become more intimate with him. So again, thank you all for being here tonight.